0: My name is Jim Fleming, and this is Our Sunday School. I'm coming to you from the Hickson campus of Stewart Heights Baptist Church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And we'd love to have you come and visit us. But if you're not in the area, please go to OurSundaySchool.com to see all of the resources we saw in class. Well, good morning, and uh, welcome to Our Sunday School. I'm glad you're able to join us online this morning. And uh, if you got your Bibles handy, if you'll go ahead and grab your Bible and open up to uh, Mark chapter 7... Uh, I believe, and Julie has a running bet on this in the house this morning, uh, we just might finish Mark chapter 7 today, uh, Lord willing. So a couple things you'll need this morning. Uh, you'll need a Bible. Uh, if you've got a uh, ESV scripture journal, that's fantastic. Uh, these are super helpful. This is what we've been giving out to our members uh, for the last year and a half or so as we've been going through Mark, as well as uh, the handout. You can go to OurSundaySchool.com and click on the Read tab. Scroll down to Today's Date and get a copy of today's handout. So I'd encourage you to do that. Uh, This week's handout is the exact same as last week's handout. Uh, I thought we would finish uh, Mark 7 last week, but we didn't. And uh, we got through the first three verses of this particular handout. So we'll do a a quick recap and then uh, jump into Mark 7, uh, 34. uh, Right after, we talk about uh, the question that we ask each week. uh, What is God doing in you through His Word? From the portion of Mark that we've studied so far. Uh, so I'll give you a, a minute to be thinking about this, and uh, while you're thinking through that, I'm going to read Mark chapter 7 for us. And... <clears throat> All right. So let's look at Mark chapter 7 this morning. Now when the Pharisees gathered to him with some of the scribes who had come from Jerusalem, but eat with defiled hands. And he said to them, Well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites, as it is written, This people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. In vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. You leave the commandment of God and hold to the tradition of men. And he said to them, You have a fine way of rejecting the commandment of God in order to establish your tradition. For Moses said, Honor your father and your mother. And whoever reviles father or mother must surely die. But you say, if a man tells his father or mother, whatever you would have gained from me is Corban, that is, given to God, then you no longer permit him to do anything for his father or mother, thus making void the word of God by your own tradition that you have handed down, and many such things you do. And he called the people to him and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand, there is nothing outside a person that by going into him sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness, all these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, And came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, But the children be fed first, for it is not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And she went home and found the child lying in bed and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his, e- his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephathah that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. So welcome to those of you that have joined us. I'm glad you're here this morning. Uh, Online, it is. I look forward to being able to see you in person. Uh, Just a quick word about that. I'll probably, uh, if I remember, repeat this information at the end of the lesson today. Uh, But next week, we begin our regathering plan at Stewart Heights. And there'll be... uh, The schedule is to have all four morning worship services held live in person, Uh, but there'll be no Sunday school live on campus next week. Uh, It'll be likely a couple of weeks before that happens. uh, For our Sunday school, because uh, of my particular situation being a person at risk and having a person uh, at risk in our house with our son Caleb, it'll be a couple of months before we are back in person live in our Sunday school classroom at the Hickson campus. Uh, so we'll continue online Sunday school for the next few months, likely through June and July, and we'll look at the data and see where we are and make a decision at that point about coming back in person. Uh, but this particular method will continue, Lord willing, for the next couple of months. And just wanted to give you a heads up about that if you had any questions. Uh, I believe we're going to get more information in the worship service this morning. Uh, so make sure at 10 o'clock that you're tuned in to the Facebook page at Stuart Heights, And I believe there'll be more information on that. So just a quick word about what we think our schedule and our timeline looks like going forward. So last week, uh, we started with this particular passage, this last section in Mark chapter 7, about Jesus healing a deaf man. Um, We had looked at a couple of different things. Uh, We had looked at uh, the uh, map of where we are right now. So Jesus was coming back in verse uh, 31. He went, Uh, he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee. So this very indirect route to get to, um, the, this area of the the Decapolis, uh, in the region of the Decapolis, uh, we looked at last week how they brought they, right? There's always a they, um, uh, we looked at how, uh, these very likely friends of his brought this deaf man to Jesus, um, they brought him, uh, he was, the text says he was deaf, uh, had a speech impediment. The, the idea is that there was some tongue-tiedness here. Uh, there was an inability to communicate, uh, something that was, that was uh, twisted and not uh, functioning the way that it should. So this is in contrast to what we see of some of Jesus' other miracles. Uh, there are times where he creates something out of nothing uh, this is not necessarily that. This is a fixing of something that is just not uh, straight to begin with. Um, so he's got a speech impediment and uh, begged him uh, in order to lay his hand on him, verse 33, and taking him aside from the crowd. So this is a, a private interaction that Jesus has with this deaf man, taking him aside from the crowd privately, uh, down to himself. He, he put his fingers uh, into his ears uh, it appears he uses both hands to do this, and after spitting, uh, he touched his tongue, his, his glossa. Uh, last week, we looked at quite a bit of this idea uh, of an interlinear and what a glossa is. It's a, it's a brief explanation. Um, it's a short definition, uh, so it shouldn't surprise us that this, uh, this idea of having a tongue being associated with explanations and definitions of things. This should make a lot of sense. Uh, What you've got on the screen right now is an interlinear. So you see the the Greek text on the top and then the uh, English uh, brief definition on the bottom. Uh, So we looked at some of these definitions last week. um, And then, so he, he touched his tongue in verse 34 and looking up into the heaven, he sighed. And this is really where we ended last week, this concept of sighing. What, what would be the best definition of this, given the three definitions that are kind of listed here for this word. If you look on your handout toward the bottom of page 234, you'll see the three definitions to, to make in distress, to, to be in distress, or to sigh, groan, or pray inaudibly. Um, it certainly doesn't seem like Jesus is in distress at this point, so likely not the first two definitions. Uh, so somewhere in that third definition, whether it's to sigh, to groan, to pray inaudibly, we looked at, actually, the non-Mark uses of this word in the New Testament. So we looked at Romans 8.23, we looked at 2 Corinthians 5, verses 2 and 4, we looked at Hebrews 13.17, and then we looked at James 5.9 about grumbling and murmuring. Uh, and, and we really saw that this this word has a, a pretty broad range of meaning in the New Testament, but it's it's very closely associated with the work of the Holy Spirit uh, it's closely associated with uh, moments of great emotional um, uh, feeling uh, and that it's not, a, it's not a word that is used lightly in the New Testament. It's a, it's a bit of a heavy word. So we see Jesus sigh here. It might have been a, an inaudible prayer. And he says, and, and here's a, a couple things to make sure we're very aware of. He says, to him, to the deaf man. So think about that for just a second. He says something to the deaf man. Okay, I just, I just don't want us to miss the, a very slight bit of awkwardness here because Jesus is speaking directly to a deaf man. Now, this man very likely had uh, a variety of ways that he had compensated to hear and to understand what was going on. But I want you to note uh, the word that is used here in the text, and the word is epitha. Um, and the pronunciation doesn't look, to me, anything like the actual word, but it's epitha. Uh, and this is an Aramaic word. Uh, so I want to talk for just a minute about Bible languages and how these types of hints that Mark gives us help us lean toward who Mark might have had as his intended audience for his particular gospel. Um, so you've, you've likely heard... Uh, preachers say uh, you know Matthew was written to this group Mark was written to this group Luke was written to this group John was written to this group and you, you may have wondered well how how would somebody know that right because if you've read Mark's Gospel you will very quickly understand that nowhere in Mark's gospel does Mark say I am writing to this group this is who I want to hear this message um, it's it's just not stated explicitly like that. So how would you how would you find a way to lean towards something like that? Well, it's, these are little hints that Mark leaves for us on how this might have worked. So this word ephetha uh, is actually an Aramaic word. And I want to talk for just a second about uh, Bible languages. And've you've, you've probably heard me, and you've probably heard a lot of different Bible teachers say, uh, in general, the Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And the New Testament was written in Greek. Uh, And in in general, that's very true. Um, But there are a couple of spots, both in the Old Testament and several spots in the New Testament, where that's not 100% uh, completely true. Um, It doesn't mean anything's wrong or bad. There was just a different language that the Holy Spirit chose to use for certain portions of uh, God's Word. And that's the Holy Spirit's prerogative to do. Um, It's one of those things where... I get neither a voice nor a vote in that conversation, and that is good. Uh, I shouldn't get a voice or a vote. It's ours just to study what God has given us and to learn and try to get to know him better. Um, So I do want to show you a couple of things about this. Yeah, I know. Brandon's got to be pumped, right? There we go. Here you go. Um, So in the Old Testament, the Old Testament is written in Hebrew except for, uh, and I want to blow this up just a little bit so you can see it very clearly, except for uh, a single word in Genesis. A single sentence in Jeremiah, five stories in division. There's actually several chapters in Daniel, and then uh, a couple of chapters in Ezra, uh, and these are in Hebrew. And uh, again, I, I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of Wikipedia as a uh, definitive source for all things theological information. But they, they do have a really good way of organizing and structuring information that's easy to pull. And it's a really good article, the Biblical Aramaic, if you want to kind of dig in and see what some of these um, examples are. So that's the, that's the Old Testament. Um, in the New Testament uh, is written in uh, Koine Greek, uh, except for certain phrases. There's a few phrases here and there. Um, there's a few names, uh, and then there's a few places. And uh, I, I want to explore just a few of these for a second, because what we'll see is we'll see that some of these show up in extremely well-known Bible passages. So if you look at the the phrases, the first one that's list, listed there is Ephetha. Um, and Ephetha is actually uh, in in Aramaic, it's a single word. In English, it's a phrase. It's be opened. And we'll talk about what that more in just a moment. Uh, but you may have heard the word uh, Abba. Uh, I remember back when we were going through uh, the book of Romans and uh, Sean McGarvey taught us the, the lesson in Romans 8. And uh, it was about Abba Father, right? Uh, that word Abba is an Aramaic word. It's not a Greek word. Um, the word raka, uh, the, it's almost a slang curse word. Uh, mammon, right? You can love God or you can love mammon. Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. This is some of the, the words that Jesus spoke on the cross. Um, the words jot and tittle. Um, the word corbin, uh, it's spelled differently here from the uh, Wikipedia article with a K instead of a C as it is in the ESV. But again, that's an Aramaic word. Uh, And then the word Hosanna is actually an Aramaic word. So we we see uh, these instances of Aramaic kind of pop up throughout the New Testament in individual phrases and individual spots. So it's a language that when it's used, what we want to do is see what the author does when it's used. Does the author just state the word and assume the audience knows it? Or does the author state the word and then explain the word? So if you've been around a good teacher, you'll know that when a good teacher uses a new word that the, the class might not be familiar with, the good teacher will then explain that word so that the class isn't just wondering, what what did that mean? I don't, I don't know what that was. Uh, and this is what Mark does. Mark takes a word that he doesn't apparently believe that his audience is going to know, and then he explains it with the comment That is, be opened at the end of verse 34. So it gives us a little bit of a hint into, well, who did Mark intend to have understand this? Well, he he did not anticipate his audience understanding Aramaic. And if you know anything about the languages of the first century Jews, first century Jews really didn't speak, Hebrew that often. The, the educated class knew Hebrew, the Romans knew Greek, um, and a lot of people would have understand had a functional working knowledge of Koine Greek, the common language at that time. but Aramaic was a bit more of the, the poor regular man's the poor regular uh, Jewish man's language at that time. So when we see Mark use a very specific Aramaic word for something Jesus said, the question that you might ask is, well, what language did Jesus speak? It's a good question. Well, pretty obviously, he, he spoke some Aramaic. And if you remember the Eli, Eli, Lama the Bactamai, that he spoke on the cross, there was a, a moment of Aramaic on the cross as well. Um, and sometimes what authors will do when you're telling a story is you'll go back and you'll quote what the actual uh, the, the, the character in the story said in an original language, and then you translate it into the language that you've been presenting in. And I actually believe that Aramaic was very likely Jesus's primary language that he taught out of, that he spoke out of, that he communicated to his disciples with. And we just get little glimpses and glimmers of it here and there in the scripture. And I'm grateful that the Holy Spirit instructed Mark to explain this for us. It's a, it's a very helpful thing. So we, we kind of helped to answer the question, what language did Jesus probably speak? Now, Now, I also want to make sure that I I don't in any way, shape, or form make anybody believe that Jesus was anything less than completely and totally all-knowing. He's absolutely completely and totally all-knowing. He would have had the command, ability, knowledge, whatever word you want to use, of all languages, all thought, all knowledge simultaneously, right? This is God himself. But the question I'm asking is, how did he engage his specific individuals that he personally interacted with? Not what was he cognitively aware of at all times. Two slightly different uh, questions there. So, um, a couple of other things here for the uh, the Aramaic. Uh, a couple of names uh, in the New Testament are uh, Aramaic. energies uh, This is what. Uh, Jesus named two of his uh, disciples, Cephas. Uh, again, another uh, Aramaic name, Thomas, was an Aramaic name. Uh, Tabitha is actually an Aramaic name. So if you know somebody named Tabitha, you can tell her she's got an Aramaic name. Uh, and then some places in the New Testament. So Gethsemane, Golgotha, uh, Gabatha, um, uh, Akadama, and the pool of Bethesda. Uh, Bethesda sorry. Um, are all Aramaic places. So there's several different uh, things as we go through the New Testament that I just want you to be aware of. Everything's not Greek in the New Testament and everything's not Hebrew in the Old Testament. There's a bit more nuance than that. All right, so I'm going to stop waterboarding you with Aramaic for just a minute. So back to the the English in Mark 7, 34. So Jesus sighs and he says to him, Ephetha. And that is, be open. So if you look at your handout at the bottom of page 234, and if you look at the the parsing of this particular word, um, it's a second singular aorist, passive imperative. All right, so a a passive is something that is, um, you're not actively doing, something is being done to you, and an imperative is a command to be obeyed. So just, Noodle on that for a second. This is a command to have something acted upon you. So how do you obey that? How do you obey a passive imperative? Well, um, think about it this way. So this is a, uh, a command that Jesus gives him to be acted upon. To get ready, to receive this. So what do you do? How do you obey a passive imperative? you you receive it, right? You you passively obey it. Um, you are receptive to this command. And the the great thing about this word, be open, the meaning of the word is to open thoroughly. It is not a uh, Jesus did not take his twisted tongue and his ears, and just slightly adjust them so that he got 20% improvement or 30% improvement or 50%. It was thoroughly. Uh, our son struggles with uh, chronic pain, and he's seeing several different uh, pain specialists and uh, all types of different therapy. And the, invariably, after you get to know uh, the first meet and greet with a new doctor, one of the things that they ask you is, what is your goal? And so they they talk to Caleb about his goals for his pain and goals for his range of motion and goals for this. And uh, the doctors get very, very nervous when things like I want full function, I want no pain are mentioned because they know they don't have the ability to promise that. And I, I love the contrast here with Jesus and his ability to heal, his ability to speak truth, his ability to save. It is not a partial, twenty percent, thirty percent, fifty percent. This is a complete and total healing of this man. It is a beautiful, beautiful thing. So if we keep if we keep looking here in verse thirty-five, and it says, "And his ears, his okoe, uh were opened." And if you look at the top of page two thirty-five, your hand out there, that verb is a passive indicative. So it was done to him, and it was a statement of fact. So Jesus commanded him to passively receive the healing, and what happened? He passively received the healing. He obeyed this passive imperative. I think it's just it's a really it's a really neat little uh, thing here in the story. So uh, and his tongue, uh, the the band or the ligament here this is a different word than glossa. Um, the band or this, this impediment or this disability, the, 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 the way this word is kind of described is that there was some kind of a, a shackle or a chain or something that was holding it back. His, his, his tongue, this ligament, and the next word is glossa, was released again. If you look at that released, it was a passive indicative. He, he didn't do this statement of fact. You know, Mark is screaming grammatically This guy didn't heal himself, Jesus did this. So I don't want you to miss the beauty and the complexity behind the scene under the surface of the words here that just echo about Jesus' power to save, about Jesus' power to heal, about Jesus' power to set straight that which is broken. And if you think there might be a message for our world today, I would argue that is what it is. Jesus' power to heal, to make straight, and to fix what is broken. Because we are a broken people. We live in a broken world. We engage with broken people. And while it is heartbreaking to see injustice, and it is heartbreaking to see uh, just sin there is coming a day wherein the Savior of the world, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, will impose justice flawlessly. And he will do it completely. It won't be a, well, we'll get a little here and a little here and a little here. It'll be done. And I I don't know about you, but I I am eagerly awaiting that day. And I would say, come quickly, Lord Jesus. So back to the text here. So his his tongue was released. So I want to show you where this word release shows up elsewhere in Mark's gospel. So if you look at Mark 1, 7, back in the first chapter of Mark, <clears throat> this is uh, John the Baptist talking about Jesus. Verse 7 says, And he preached, saying, After me he comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down, and untie. So, in case you're wondering why John's words about untying Jesus' sandals might have been recorded, because that's the same word that is used for the releasing of this man's tongue. Because it was tied up, it wasn't in its rightful spot. Uh, if you look at Mark 11, verse 2, Mark 11, verse 2. This is the uh, triumphal entry into Jerusalem. And uh, Jesus says to them, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied, on which no one has ever sat. Untie it, that's the word, and bring it. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? So this idea that there was some physical thing that was tied up that needed to be untied, this is the concept here. So his tongue is untied, and he spoke plainly. Now look for the definition of the word plainly here. This is an an upright manner. This is correctly. This is the only time this word is used in Mark's gospel. And Jesus didn't heal him and just fix the physical problem. He healed him and enabled him to flawlessly use that healing. And if you know anything about how physical therapy or surgery works to repair or restore something that is broken or deformed or not working properly. It is not an immediate snap into 100% effective use. It is a, well, there's a recovery period and then there's a strengthening period and then there's a fine motor skills period and then there's a therapy period and then it takes a long time and that's not what happened here. Jesus sweeps aside all of the slowness involved in human healing and just performs a utterly astounding miracle. It is a beautiful thing. So he heals his ears, his tongue, and he speaks plainly. He speaks properly, correctly. And then we get to verse 36, right? I love this stuff too, right? It's amazing. Um, verse 36, and Jesus, and this is not the, the Greek word for Jesus, this is the word for, the word for he, atos, uh, but it's it it's a bit confusing in the text if you don't actually insert the noun uh, Jesus. And Jesus charged uh, them uh, to tell. So the, the word hina the, the, is not uh, translated in our English, but the idea is um, there was a there was a directive here that had a purpose. The, the word for charged shows up in Mark uh, 5.43. Let's flip back over to 5.43 real quick. <clears throat> oh, I was going to say, there's always a moment of panic when I turn to the wrong chapter in the Bible and read the verse and have no idea where the word is that I'm looking for in that verse. So I was in 6.43 doesn't have anything to do with the charging. Here we go. 5.43. Uh, This is right after uh, the little girl is uh, is raised. Uh, Raised, Jessica. Why would I say raised? Think on that one. Verse 43. And he strictly charged them that no one should know this and told them to give her something to eat. Flip ahead to Mark 8.15. This is after he has... um, He has... uh, Talking about the Pharisees and their teaching. And he says, and he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. This is this this challenging, this is this idea of uh, be careful about distinguishing between this and this. Uh, The last time it's used is in Mark 9, 9. Um, He's coming down from the transfiguration, right? So these guys have just seen something that's utterly, completely mind-blowing. They can't even have imagined dreamed something like this. Verse 9, as they were coming down the mountain, he charged them to tell no one what they had seen until the Son of Man had risen from the dead. Because Jesus had a communications timeline that did not marry well with what everybody who saw him do things wanted to go do. So Jesus charges them. So who's the them here? I would argue that the them here are the people who brought this deaf man, as well as the deaf man, to Jesus. So he charges them to tell no one. And this is, um, this, is, this is like absolutely nobody you get to go tell this to. And how do you keep that quiet, right? You're the deaf man who's now hearing and speaking plainly and correctly, and the guy who just healed you told you not to tell anybody. That's a tall order. That's a tall order. So, but, you know, big shocker here, right? The more he charged or repeatedly, this is imperfect middle indicative. So he repeatedly charged them the more, the more zealously or super abundantly superiorly, they just... They just ramped it up. So he would like, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody, don't tell anybody. And they were telling more and telling more and telling more. So it it almost feels like there was was an immediacy to the physical location here for his ability to repeatedly tell them and them telling others about what was going on. Remember, because Jesus, he performed this miracle privately with just the deaf man. So there would have been some going back to the people that brought him and sharing and sharing. And so Jesus would have engaged in this way. It was just a... It was a real mess. But look at the word. Look at the word that Mark uses for how they were talking about it. They proclaimed it. This is the Greek word, "caruso." This is that herald where the, the town crier rings the bell and declares what is true. This is a word for preaching. They were actually, in a very real sense, preaching the truth about who Jesus was. He is the one who heals the deaf If you know anything about the Old Testament prophecies, the Messiah, this is one of the signs that the Messiah was going to fulfill to demonstrate who he is. And Jesus has an issue with the timing of their communication because it wasn't yet time for that to be shared. There was a very specific way and time that Jesus wanted this information to get out and this wasn't it. So verse 37, And they were astonished. They were astonished beyond measure. This word for astonished is imperfect, so it's repeatedly astonished. Beyond measure, saying, it's probably my favorite phrase in all of Mark chapter 7, and you you probably can hear it when I read Mark chapter 7. He has done all things well. This is a true statement about Jesus Christ at all points of his existence. In every interaction, in all engagements, every word, every deed, everything that he said and did for us to model, everything that he said and did for us to marvel at, everything that he ever acted, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. And I want you to notice what they're saying here with these tenses. He has done, this perfect tense is completed action with the results continuing. It's an active indicative. He did it, not the deaf man. The deaf man didn't do this. He has done all things well. He makes present active indicative. The deaf to hear, present active. And the mute to speak, present active. Jesus is actively doing these things. And I want to end chapter seven with this question. Who said that sentence? Who said he has done all things well? He even makes the deaf hear and the mute to speak. Who said it? And I would argue that it was not the disciples. I would argue it was that those who had just seen this miracle. And I want you to see the distinction between who should have been proclaiming He has done all things well. And who actually was? Because when we get into chapter 8, the disciples are still struggling to figure it out. They don't have this all wrapped up. There is not a bow on their theology, and everything is systematically categorized with page numbers and references. It's not where they are. They are in the mix of trying to churn through who is this Person. And Jesus, through these examples and through how the crowd is responding to these miracles, is drawing out inside the disciples this battle of who are you? Are you who you say you are? And in chapter 8, we begin to see a glimpse of, oh, I think they're getting it. I think they might be beginning to understand. So In the midst of this miracle, I don't want it to be lost on what is happening to the disciples as we move through Mark's gospel. So a couple of applications and uh, personalizations, and then we'll finish up. So application number one, Jesus is sufficient. He is sufficient, uh, and he is the only one who is sufficient. So, So what do we do when we encounter the only one who is sufficient? Well, the personalization for that is to repent and believe. Right. Repent and believe. If, if there comes a time in our lives where we believe that Jesus Christ is not sufficient, repent and believe because he is, he's completely sufficient. He's the only one capable of being sufficient. Uh, application point number two, Jesus heals thoroughly. He absolutely heals thoroughly. There's not a, a partial, well, you know, we'll give you 20% today and we'll come back next week and we'll do 20% more. And then after some PT, and some pain meds, uh, you'll probably experience some uh, side effects, but uh, but you'll get there. You'll get there. No. Puts his fingers in his ears. He says one Aramaic word, and the man is straightened out. It's unbelievable. And then number three, Jesus heals actively. There is a personal, intentional, physical engagement that we see with our Savior, and this is encouraging to us because all of Jesus' miracles could have been done from a distance without personally engaging, and that's not how he chose to do it. So what do we do with that? Well, praise him for his personal engagement. Right? We repent and we believe when there are challenges to our, our understanding of his sufficiency or his ability to heal, and we praise him for his active healing. And then what you can do is you can go back and listen to almost all of this lesson again And just pretend that I'm talking about the healing, the physical healing is a spiritual healing and virtually everything is exactly the same and true. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. The physical is a picture of the spiritual about what is going on uh, in Jesus' ministry as he moves on. So it's uh, 9.45, so we'll wrap up. Uh, That is my commitment to those of you that want to go back to the services uh, in, uh, in person starting next week. Uh, that I, I would love for you all to be able to participate online in Sunday School with us live at 9.07. Uh, but I also want to make sure that I finish on time so that you got time to get in the car and drive to church and uh, go worship as a congregation and then uh, come back and tell us how it went, because I'd love to know. Uh, we're praying for you guys. We love you guys. Uh, your last blank on the handout down there at the bottom, but your only blank on the handout, at the bottom of page 236, is next week we'll start at Mark 81. Uh, so we'll do our, our typical review of uh, the overview of the chapter, uh, walking through the process and our homework. So if you've got any uh, questions, if you've got any feedback or comments, I'd love to hear those. Uh, but as we uh, as we finish up, I would just encourage you if you need to, if you haven't already subscribed to the podcast or the YouTube channel or the email, you can do that at uh, our on the Subscribe tab. Um, you can also, if you're interested in being a member of our class, click on the About Us. Uh, tab at the top of the page and uh, listen to the lesson there if you decide you want to commit to the membership expectations. Uh, We would love to have you as a member. And then as always, please share your prayer requests and head over to the Facebook page of Stuart Heights uh, by 10 o'clock so uh, we can worship and keep an ear out for, I think, some additional announcements today about uh, some of the details for next week's uh, beginning of the regathering. So God bless you. I love you guys. Can't wait to see you soon. And uh, until I see you again. Thanks for listening, and don't forget to subscribe to this podcast and to our weekly email. You can do both at OurSundaySchool.com.